Welcome to Love Rules, the radio ministry of Roxbury Presbyterian Church in Boston. My mom, Liz Walker, was Boston's first African-American television news anchor, but her most important job is what she does right now at RPC, preaching the good news about God's love. The Bible says, above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. How does that work? Join my mom now as she offers us Love Rules from Roxbury Presbyterian Church. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to Love Rules. Today's message is called Dividing Up Jesus, and the text is 1 Corinthians, the first chapter, the 10th through the 18th verses. I'm going to repeat that because I want you to really look at it yourself. 1 Corinthians 1, 10 through 18. Now, I'm just going to read a few verses at the beginning of this chapter. Now, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you be in agreement and that there be no divisions among you, but that you are united in the same mind and the same purpose. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there are quarrels among you, my brothers and sisters. What I mean is that each of you says, I belong to Paul, or I belong to Apollos, or I belong to Cephas, or I belong to Christ. Has Christ been divided? I love this text. Has Christ been divided? What a question. The Corinthian church is breaking out and breaking down in divisions and quarrels. Instead of acting as one body, the church has become a collection of special interest groups. While the Apostle Paul offers no information on the specifics of the trouble, we know it involves some divided allegiances. Like a frustrated coach who watches on the sideline as his team bickers at the risk of losing the game, Paul is calling for a timeout. Time out, everybody. Come over here. Let's talk about unity. There's a sense of urgency focused on this discord. Now, you know, the Corinthian church was a diverse, lively community. Its members included poor and wealthy, those with education and those without. It could be a model church. It's in this city, though, known for its sexual immorality. The biggest tourist attraction was the Temple of Aphrodite, the goddess of love. And maybe some of the permissiveness of the city has spilled over into the community of faith. Or maybe the problems were internal. Perhaps some of the people are just feeling drawn into cliques. It would be something we'd probably see in churches today. People from different cultures are joining the church, people from different communities, people who haven't had the opportunity to get to know each other. So now they're trying to solidify this common identity. But it's not easy. Whatever the reasons for the divisions, Paul believes they're serious. We know that because he makes his plea in this text, which is why I want you to read it. He makes his plea for unity in the name of Jesus. You don't find this in other letters from Paul. So he's not simply out for his own desire. This is a plea coming from the Lord who rules over all. Don't think of this as the same kind of statement like when we say, for God's sake, because we've trivialized the name. This statement reflects the gravity of the situation. I appeal to you by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you be in agreement and that there are no divisions among you, that you be united in the same mind and the same purpose. Can Christians be of the same mind about anything? That's why in verse 13, we see a side of Paul we don't usually see. He asks, has Christ been divided? Paul was not crucified for you, was he? 
or were you baptized in the name of Paul? That's a very serious question, one that requires some reflection. Now, the situation Paul is describing is not remote. As I said, church people in the 21st century can easily be divided up by personalities, doctrines, uh, causes. Social justice is often pitted against biblical faithfulness. Progressives always end up against traditionalists, liberals against fundamentals. I mean, all over the country, it's an age-old problem and, and one that we really need to pay attention to. From the moment that Jesus went to the cross, believers have had differing views on what this Christian journey is all about. While most of us claim belief in a universal church that is a collective body of all Christians everywhere, sometimes that seems no more than words. Because even people in the same denomination have trouble agreeing on things. Divisiveness is one of the easiest pitfalls for church people. Is it possible to be a Christian in full harmony with other Christians? You have to wonder how seriously are we supposed to take this scripture? And what, if anything, can we do to try to get here? While most of us think of the issue as homosexuality that divides up Jesus, in truth, there are many issues that divide us. Gun control, the size of government, the role of women in the church. The list is endless. Is this dividing up Jesus? Well, it can be. I suggest we need to look at the depths of the problem. The challenges in the Corinthian church were not only over issues. There was an underlying problem in how folks disagreed. It had to do, I believe, with church folks' motivations. Motivation is defined in the dictionary as the reason or reasons one acts in a particular way. The world in which we live usually emphasizes self-actualization as a necessary motive. It's all about me, self-determination, self-improvement, self-esteem. But the Bible takes a different view. And, and those of us who are Christian have to be really careful about this. Because if we're not careful, we act like the world. We are not to be centered on ourselves. We are to be centered on God. Psalm 73, 25, Whom have I in heaven but you? And in earth has nothing I desire besides you. In order to follow Jesus, we are taught we must deny ourselves. And that's hard to do. It's hard to understand. Does that mean in order to get along, we must go along? Does it mean we avoid disagreement at all cost? Not at all. The New Testament gives us list upon list of ways to live and work together as Christians. And it includes how to disagree. Paul urged the church in Ephesus to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle and be patient. Jesus warned us that we need to be careful about judging others. Before taking the speck from our brother's eye, we must be careful to take the plank out of our own. Now, I'm not suggesting we are never to judge because we are, but we have to be careful about judgment. The wrong reaction, the wrong motivation of reacting to another's sin can be worse than the sin. We need to understand grace. Self-control is part of the fruit of the Spirit, and that should always be a quality of a Christian disagreement. When we disagree in anger, we risk saying and doing things we regret. Reckless words pierce like a sword. Anger can fester and turn into bitterness, and bitterness can last for years, and it's destructive not only to others, but to ourselves. Take time and try to understand the other side. 
Rather than making quick judgments or walking away from those with whom you disagree, ask questions, strike up conversations. Remember, we are all in the same church universal. Seek the Bible view yourself and talk it over with the other Christians. There are ways to disagree. Sometimes you have to agree to disagree. Remember Paul and Barnabas? They parted company because they did not reach reconciliation. The Bible says they had a sharp disagreement. They took on different partners and they ended up going on different journeys. It took some time before they reconciled with each other. Give your disagreement to God and trust in God's timing. And I think this is the way to handle all of our disagreements. The disagreements in our specific churches, the disagreements across cultures, the disagreements across the nation. We really need to approach it as the Bible would tell us to approach it. Give your disagreement to God and trust in God's timing. We're all human. And we will not all agree. That's the price we pay for who we are. But Paul reminds us, be aware of one important thing, our motives. And he showed us that if our motives are right, we can act graciously even toward those who are on the other side of an issue, even if we know the other side is just downright wrong. We can, in Paul's words, be gentle to all, able to teach, patient in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. Paul reminds us that only Christ is the reliable one in whom we can put all our trust. It doesn't mean we're going to be disloyal to pastors or religious leaders. It means our relationship with Christ is the most important. And how does that manifest itself? Well, it's pretty simple to me. It manifests itself in the greatest commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. And the second commandment is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. That truth should be enough to lessen the divisions and strife in the church, and it certainly should be enough to buffer them. Then Paul goes on to say, if we are not motivated by love, nothing else we do as Christians has much value. 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3 If I speak with tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. You know, we look at that as something for wedding vows. But that was a scripture. That was a letter written to the church. It was considered our vow to God. God is love. And we have to base everything we do on love. We have to take it seriously and especially when we disagree, because love will buffer us. Love covers all sins. Otherwise, we are dividing up Jesus, and that's not going to ever work. Love is a choice we make when we have good times together and when we disagree. Love is what unifies us. We are all one body, we have the same spirit, and we have all been called to the same glorious future. There is only one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and there is only one God and Father who is over us all and in us all and living through us all. Love your neighbor as yourself. Have a great day, everybody. 
Thank you for tuning in. Roxbury Presbyterian Church is located at 328 Warren Street, right in the heart of Roxbury. Come worship with us on Sundays at 11 a.m. This is a listener-supported program. We invite you to partner with us and learn the many ways that love rules. Visit us on our website, roxburypresbyterianchurch.org, or call us at 617-445-2116. Love will reign.